next Sunday, we're going to kick off Group Connect. So if you're new to church life here, I uh, want you guys to know what that is. Next uh, Sunday, we're going to basically let you know where all the groups are going to be scattering uh, throughout the spring into, into uh, the end of May. can't believe I'm even thinking about spring. Uh, right now, I think we're all excited for that. And so um, groups, we really believe, are a main agent by which we will see discipleship happen by um, us not being isolated as individuals, but walking alongside one another in community, uh, learning what, to know what it means to follow and love and serve and listen to Jesus. And so uh, we have kind of one road by which we're all striving to know, serve, listen, and understand Jesus. And uh, we kind of teased out these four different lanes to maybe help you in particular ways by which you're wired, uh, the ways that that you learn and ways that which you uh, grow. And so um, just want to encourage you uh, to, to remember that next Sunday we'll have a lot of those advertised and a lot of those available leaders of those groups so you can find out where they meet. Um, this is also a way by which as the church continues to, by God's grace, um, grow strangely the way it is. Uh, we just want to be able to continually steward and shepherd and care for uh, all the individuals that God brings in ways by which we can continually see people walking in community. And so um, just take note of that. Next Sunday, Group Connect will be here. And uh, looking forward to seeing how God uses groups this season for our joy and His glory. Um, also, baptism. Class is coming up in a month. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you love Jesus and you've never been baptized, I want to encourage you to take that class, even if you're like, man, I'm not sure. I don't know if I like getting wet. That's okay. Uh, we really want you to know that baptism is the first step of obedience Jesus gives the church and those who call him Lord and Savior and King. So it actually is really important that you understand what baptism is and why we practice it here and something that you could joyfully celebrate and be a witness of yourself in the death of Jesus and resurrection of Jesus through seeing that visibly in baptism. And so the baptism service isn't until June 7th, but we have a class the 15th. And so uh, if you're interested or if the Lord is leading you that direction, if you're a believer in Jesus uh, and you've never been baptized, he is leading you in that direction. I'll help you with that. Okay, so you can go uh, sign up at the info center uh, on your way out and then not be scared and let us teach you March 15th as to what that looks like and you can ask more questions, all right? Um, I'm gonna pray and then we're going to uh, be in uh, the book of 1 Peter. We have two weeks left of 1 Peter today and next week, and then we're going to be starting, surprise, 2 Peter. All right? So I'm like, man, this is just too good. 1 Peter's been too good. So um, 2 Peter, just so you know, is kind of like the spiritual pat on the butt of let's go. All right? That's what 2 Peter is. That's what we're going to look at together. That'll take us uh, until May, and then we got surprise for you what we'll be doing May through August, and then we already have decided what we're doing in September. I'm not going to tell you yet, so you can linger, all right? So let's pray and ask God uh, to give us grace this morning. Lord, thank you that we get to have the Bible and that we get to learn from you and not just from a person. Uh, we pray your Holy Spirit would come and help us understand what we need to understand, that it would challenge us where we need to be challenged, that it would even maybe rebuke us where we need rebuke, and that you constantly promise to lead us into life, so we're thankful that we can trust what you say and come underneath what you say in glad submission and joy, knowing that you'll get glory and our lives will be rightly aligned with yours. Uh, help us where we need help today, 
And uh, we're thankful for the word of God that we get to listen to it and see it and read it ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're in 1 Peter. If you have a Bible, go to 1 Peter 5. We're in the final chapter of Peter. Uh, Peter writing this letter to churches all across Asia Minor who are suffering, who are being rejected for loving and serving and following Jesus. We've been talking about this for a number of weeks that uh, Peter was an apostle of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. And in the end, he had normal human human inclinations and temptations where he doubted and he struggled, but ultimately he constantly and consistently returned to Jesus to be used by him for amazing purposes and ways. Um, Peter went on to preach that sermon in Acts 2 where 3,000 come to faith in the risen Christ and continues to help build the church. He's the one who Jesus says on you making the profession that I am the Christ, I am the living God, I'm going to build the church on that gospel promise, I'm going to build the church on that gospel word. And So Peter's significant. Peter writes as someone who understands what it means to be rejected, to be tempted to kind of cave in fear uh, when the world presses in, yet he keeps teaching us that we're not to be um, disengaged from culture, but we are called to be distinct. And he's helped us understand what does it look like for those two things to work in tandem. And um, we love to primarily go through books of the Bible like Peter because we feel like, hey, it keeps us honest with the scriptures and helps us tackle topics we might not otherwise tackle. So we just kind of plow through. So we've been in 1 Peter doing that. And as you hear 1 Peter 5, I want you to know it's basically his summary. It's all chapter 5 is. Uh, it's just the summary of what he said. He's just summarizing and articulating and pulling together everything that he has just written so that we would kind of hear it one last time. And here it's interesting as Peter's been encouraging and exhorting these new Christians in Jesus Christ who are suffering opposition, adversity, and persecution. He is now turning his attention to those who have been appointed by God to oversee these churches all throughout Asia Minor to come underneath the teaching of God's word and be encouraged in their opposition. So this morning, we're going to chat about elders or pastors. So um, for me, man, this is a little bit fun and interesting because I'm basically going to talk about my job, all right? So I'm basically going to yell at myself for 30 minutes and we'll go home, okay? And the other four elders. And you guys get to listen to me do that, all right? So um, no, here, here's why he turns to elders. Here's why I love why Peter turns to elders because I think that Peter knows that when you're under stress and duress like this church, it makes the church more vulnerable which means it even more so needs strong, courageous, godly leaders, right? So, so if you're a part of a church that is facing um, opposition and adversity, you need shepherds that are effective. Uh, you need shepherds that help you in your vulnerability. And he knows even the shepherds may feel a temptation to be vulnerable or to shrink back in fear. And so this encouragement is not just to them, it's to everyone. So Let me just say this before we get into verse 1 of chapter 5. Peter started this book reminding us that the bedrock of the church is Jesus Christ. Okay, so we know that. He said in the very beginning, we're elect exiles, that we belong to Jesus spiritually, right? Literally. This is what happens when he saves us. We become his. And that's why in opposition and adversity and struggle, we can and will endure, not because we're great, not because we have some inner strength that we've discovered, but because 
because we have him who is infinitely great, infinitely strong, and will sustain us through it all, right? So, so that's the promise. So he is consistently throughout this letter, using other language, brought you back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's never let you stray, even in commands, that it's all built upon Jesus, that he lived, he was sinless, he died, he rose, he will return again, and we are his, not because we're great, but because he was great, not because we are sinless, but because he was sinless, not because we are perfectly righteous, but because he was perfectly righteous. Now, here's why this matters, and here's why I say that. Um, we at this church, by God's grace, have five elders, five pastors, and none of us is the leader of the church. Like we are, we are used by God to shepherd as under shepherds, but there is only one senior pastor. There's only one true leader of the church, and that's Jesus Christ. So any elder's job, any pastor's job, is simply to point you to the true leader, the true pastor. Okay, so that in the end, we're all kind of following Jesus. We, the elders follow Jesus. You kind of look to the elders who are following Jesus, but in the end, we're all following Jesus, okay? Um, our allegiance is not to a man who's created. Our allegiance is to a God-man who's uncreated, right? So at the end of the day, that's where your stock is. That's where your hope is. That's where your ultimate allegiance is, is to Jesus. So Peter has been making that clear, so he's not shifting saying, hey, now you're underneath and solely follow men. He's saying they're put in charge for a purpose, and that purpose is to point you to Jesus. Um, I think it was Jesus, right, who said in Matthew 16, I'm going to build my church. So it's Jesus' church. Uh, so no pastor or elder can with truthfulness say, this is my church, Right? It's Jesus' church. We just want to remember that anytime we talk about texts like this. So let me say something briefly because I'm sure this could be a, a new subject for some of you. Um, what we're going to see in 1 Peter 5, just five verses, it's not going to be long, uh, is really more a junk drawer, what do they do? Okay, that's what you're going to see. If you want to look at who they are, you can go to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, spend some time there. They're going to list out more who these men are. That's not what Peter's going to talk about today, but he is going to talk about what they do. But understand, whether you read 1 Timothy 3 on who they are, whether you read 1 Peter 5 on what they do, really what those texts do is show us where all of us are headed, okay? Um, so, so no one's like out of this. I speak for the elders when, when I would say, even though uh, many of us will never serve an office of elder or pastor, um, all of us are called to listen, follow, love, strive for Christian maturity, right? And that's what these texts show, is just Christian maturity. So it's not necessarily an exam for you to pass, but a compass that keeps you on track, all right? And so just know that none of us are outside of this, regardless of how God chooses to use us. Let's not turn ourselves off to these texts, but, but lean into these texts for ourselves too, um, that God would grow us in the ways that he wants. And so um, let me just say this is also why when all is said and done, there's not supposed to be this elite group of men that are so far beyond what anyone else will ever be. There are people in this church who could serve as elders and might not just because they might not. It doesn't mean they're any less than. Um, and these things are not things by which are reserved only for leaders, but for all of God's um, children. And so uh, we're going to get into First Peter 5, verse 1, and here is what Peter writes. 
So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. I love how Peter just models humility. He's already identifying. He's not speaking as someone who's outside of this. He says, hey, I'm a fellow elder too. I'm not saying this is someone who's above you or beyond you. Um, I share in the sufferings of Christ. I actually saw the literal suffering and persecution of Jesus. Um, I've suffered myself um, and I want to encourage you with these words and I'm going to heaven too. I'm a partaker in this glory to be revealed. We're all on the same team. Team Jesus, let me give you this encouragement. And Peter says, elders. It's very important. He says, I'm talking to the elders, plural, not singular. And here's why that this is important. Um, this is important because it's the assumption of Peter and all the writers of the New Testament and Jesus that the church is led by, shepherded by, governed by not just a singular person who wields authority, but a plurality of men who lovingly lead and serve together. That's really important. Um, that's why he always talks, the Bible always talks, even when Paul tells Titus to go appoint elders at those churches, he says, elders, not one elder. Because he knows there's something about the plurality of men that is safe for the church. It's healthy for the church. So it protects the church. Um, they're having, you having elders protects the church. A number of ways, I could give you a, probably a hundred ways, but just a couple that I thought of. One is um, it protects the church um, from just um, doctrinal clarity, right? No one's allowed to just teach independently. If you had one man who solely wields his authority, then he could just say whatever he wants and he has no accountability, Right, if Pastor Peter or Pastor McKinney or myself or someone says something that's erroneous or contrary to the gospel, we have elders who say, you can't teach that. That's wrong, right? That's, that's not who we are. There's, there's a protection against um, doctrinal clarity. There's also, it, I think it brings about balance, not imbalance, right? So one man can't just say and do what he wants. You have a, a wide variety of giftings, even at the elder level, that help shepherd and steward the church, I told you a lot, we don't need five Mike Reeds. That would make a terrible church. We would be just a disaster. We need, we need everybody unique in their giftings and wirings and lanes to serve together. Um, and so it creates a, a balance. It, it helps that. You know, God doesn't give all spiritual abilities to one person. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't do that, right? He's never done that. Um, and so I like to be around other men who are stronger where I'm weak, who kind of bring out those qualities and help me see those things and help me walk in greater strength where I'm weak and vice versa for those other men. But it's important that there's a group of men, not one singular man. Um, what it also does is it, it helps protect from a dominance culture. Um, a plurality of men uh, helps protect from you not having any way for new people even to step in. Um, if there's one person saying this is how everything always goes and this is how everything always is, then um, if an elder leaves, then the church is just disassembled. Um, but if there's a healthy plurality, then not a dominance culture, then even if an elder leaves, other elders can fill in and, and there's, there's room for development and growth and stability. And so um, there's a lot of reasons, but it helps continue the work of the ministry. Peter knows this and so he says, hey, I'm talking to you elders in the plural. And then he tells them what to do. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. 
I love that. Just, just noticed, I, I, was, I was telling two of the guys this week that, that you know when you read text and you've read it a hundred times and then you notice something new? <laughs> I mean, this is terrible that I'm just now seeing this in this particular passage. Um, but he says, shepherd the flock of God. Now, I know that theologically, but I haven't thought a lot about that, just how it, how it plays out practically. I mean, I believe it does, but what's amazing in that is um, we're shepherding not our own flock, but God's flock. Like it's just another reminder from Peter, the church is not even the elder's church. The flock is not the elder's flock, it's God's flock. We're shepherding what God owns, right? Like, like the sheep are on loan to the leaders and God's like, hey, care for them well. Shepherd them well, they're mine, right? And if you abuse them or don't care for them well, I can just remove them from you, right? And so here, this is this amazing encouragement and charge that the church is not our church, the church is God's church, the Church of Jesus Christ, capital C, is, is that right, the way you're looking at me? Capital C is always God's church. The flock is always Jesus' flock. That's, trust me, that will save you so much damage in your Christian life, all right? As you look across the landscape and you see pastors blowing it and people excommunicating the wrong people or people bringing in the wrong people or you see the imperfections ooze out, it'll just help you. You follow Jesus. Your allegiance is Jesus. And then God puts these men to lovingly lead and shepherd the flock of God. And there are two things elders are to do, and I love this. This is the basic junk drawer. If you just want to know in your head, man, what what are elders supposed to do? There's just two things, shepherd and oversee. That's their job. They govern and they shepherd. Um, That's the charge that is given to them. And the first one is shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God. Now, this is... A huge part of an elder's job, uh, one of shepherding the people of God. This means protection. This means care. This means leading. This means instruction. This means helping. This means they want to help the church be safe and grow to maturity. Um, this is also what this means. It means there are going to be days where, where the elders lead you by what seems like only still waters. <laughs> And, and the grass is always green, and it means if we see you struggling or in unrepentant sin or you're going after something that will damage you or harm you, that at times we will metaphorically and lovingly break your legs and put you on our back and carry you. That's our job. It's what shepherds do. It's not an easy job. It's a hard job. It's a grueling job. It's an exhausting job. But it's a job we readily receive because God's called us to do it. And so that's the charge put before us to to shepherd the church, to pastor the church, to guard and lead and direct a flock, pointing you to Jesus, pointing you to the one who's in charge, who ultimately cares for your soul. And then he also says, we exercise oversight. This is just governing. So we shepherd the flock, we teach, we point you to Jesus, we guard doctrinal truths, we want you to see the gospel regularly, and all while we're also exercising oversight. We're we're watching over the affairs of the church. This is also a, a big part of shepherding. There's also governance. So we don't just walk alongside the sheep, we don't just bear burdens with the sheep, we don't just protect the sheep, we also oversee the sheep. Um, so here's what I think you're going to see a lot in the Bible is the Bible's going to give you a lot of clear instructions, right? There's just black and white instructions. And the Bible also gives you a lot of wisdom, a lot of areas to work in. 
So here's what we believe as a church. We believe that God has given us a primary overarching mission. Now, I think we would argue that it's not just a mission given to Church of Bergen, it's a mission given to the entire universal church. And that's to bring glory to God by making disciples. It's, it's, we think it's that simple, right? The overarching aim of the book of the Bible, if you, if you read the whole Bible, it's God wants to be praised, God deserves glory. When we're doing that, we're satisfied and happy, right? That, that's, that's the goal. Now, underneath that, he gives in Matthew 28, now go do that and make disciples, Okay, that's why our mission statement is we exist to bring glory to God by making disciples. Through what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, not fancy, just take it out of what the Bible says. Let our mission statement be the Bible's mission statement, and let's operate underneath that. So here's the thing, though. We realize the charge has been given us to do that, and it might look unique and nuanced here. So we have to govern that. We have to oversee that. That means we have to ask ourselves, elders get alongside the sheep and elders come together through prayer, through looking at the word of God, through asking for wisdom. Okay, well, how does that look here? Where do we spend, save, steward? What does a budget look like? Where do investments look like? What missionaries are we led to support? What does disciple-making culture look like outside of the obvious ordinary means of grace of teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you? What are the ways that might be nuanced here and we oversee in that way? What does it look like to accomplish what Christ is asking us to accomplish here? Right? That's part of us overseeing. That's part of us walking alongside and asking God for help. That's, that's governance. And understand, here at Church at Bergen, if you've been coming for any amount of time, you probably realize, if you've talked to any of us, or you've just kind of been looking around, that we're a very simplistic culture. Like, we, we, we are not going to be a lot of things um, we believe that disciple-making primarily happens through the ordinary means of grace, through sitting in the gathering and under the preach word and worshiping together and then gathering in groups and community and serving one another, not because we have to, but because Christ has done such a work in us that we love to be the agents to do that. But, but we're not going to probably give you 15 ministries to plug into that's just not going to be us, and, and here's why. Um, we believe disciple-making, that you becoming disciples, us following that charge, us hearing that charge, us believing that charge is not one thing, it's all things. So in other words, the, all those things, you gathering with the people of God, you getting with one another's in community, you serving alongside one another, those are not, there's not just one of those that makes a disciple, all those together makes a maturing disciple. And that's why we're going to be so protective over your time because your time is already full and just use what God has given us to grow us and mature us. It's not saying we're not going to put lanes in front of you or pathways towards that, but I think most of us, if we're honest, have been program-driven, not relationship-driven. So the problem is we think a program's going to make me a disciple. I'll take that class, I'll go the base, baseball track, first, second, third, home, I'm done. I've made a disciple because I did that program for 16 weeks. No, your whole life, your whole life is maturing and becoming a disciple. And so um, none of us should stop gathering together on Sundays and scattering together throughout the week until glory, Right? Because that's the, the way by which God ordinary through prayer and confession of sin to one another and walking together has designed the church to mature and be made disciples. But within that, of course, we're going to ask ourselves, how do we do that here? Now, 
What Peter says next is usually the piece that I think we see church divisions, church splits, church arguments, because it's not just what these men do, it's how they do it, right? This is what Peter says. They do this not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. At the end of the day, they want to do this. Um, They want to do this. It's not easy, but it's a calling they readily receive. Um, It's something they believe God has asked them to do. And notice, he says not by trying to gain power, not by strong-arming people, not by them trying to exalt themselves, but serving eagerly. This is why Hebrews 13 is a great passage in the Bible for you who are sheep. Right, we're all sheep. I just mean if you're not an elder or pastor. Um, it says, hey, don't beat these guys up. They're serving you. They're servants. They're trying to make actually life easy for you. They're trying to lead you to Jesus. Don't exacerbate that, right? Don't make it harder than it needs to be. Don't buck against that if they truly are lovingly leading you. That's what he, that, that passage, Hebrews 13, will, will say. Um, but here's what all this means. If I can take everything that, that, that those two verses say, I would argue that that means these men are patient. They're patient. They're not perfect, but they're patient. Um, elders and pastors are called to be patient. Um, is it not true, friends, that when duress and stress increases, patience decreases? So imagine not just a church that has adversity, has struggle, has turmoil, then being challenged and encouraged to be patient in that, patient in affliction. But now remember the leaders who are trying to lead and guard and protect all that, man, as their stress increases, Peter's like, man, please be patient. Be patient with the sheep. Don't get irritable, man, don't get... Don't, get, don't take out that, that frustration on the sheep. Don't write that. That's, he knows that's going to be natural for leaders, any leader, let alone the church of Jesus Christ. So, so he's basically saying be patient. So, so here's the thing. There, here's what we have. We have probably three camps or three categories. Um, well, maybe four, but, but assuming just the walking with Jesus categories, right? We've got those that, man, you are mature, you come under the word of God, you love the word of God, you're a seasoned Christian, there, there are those in this room. Then there are others of you in this room, you're like, you're just learning that Jesus is good, that Jesus is saving, that Jesus really is who he says he was, you're, you're starting to walk, you feel like you're maybe like just now starting to take off your spiritual diaper, all right? And then you have people in the middle. You've been growing, you're learning still, and God's still continuing to mature you and grow you into other lanes and you love coming under other people and learning from them and you've been in the church for a while. You have, there, there are all these different contexts but here's the thing. The elders have to learn that there's this broad range of people before them and they're to be patient with all of them. They're to love all of them. They're to, they're to steward all of them and shepherd all of them, not domineering any of them. That's what he's getting at here. They exercise patience with all of God's children, not just some. There's a great verse that um, I come back to a lot, 1 Thessalonians 5, where he talks to the leaders and he says, warn those who are idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with 
them all. That's the charge of pastors and elders. Be patient with them all. Because Peter knows leaders need to be aware of that. Um, now I also believe within this, um, not for shameful gain, right? We're not, we're not trying to like make a kingdom or make an income for ourselves. Or um, That's not why anyone should go into pastoral ministry, that's for sure. Um, they do it because God has called them, so they're not under compulsion where they feel like they want to do it, but God has called them to do it. They do it willingly, as God would have them, and eagerly, not domineering, but by being examples. So they do this, this is sobering, by just who they are. So, so People seeing patience in them makes other people patient. People seeing godliness in them makes other people godly. People seeing love in them makes people loving. People seeing them desire Christ makes other people desire Christ. They're just examples. So here's here's what I think. I think wrapped up in all of this is this idea of kindness. In other words, they're not leading from a place of instilling fear but kindness. It's like in, in Romans 2, 4 where, where Paul says, man, I thought it was the patience and kindness of God that would lead you to repentance. I thought, I thought you were gonna be so overwhelmed by how kind God is, how he deals with you, puts up with you, walks with you, that would lead you to turn from sin and turn to Christ. And, and I think this is the, the same way by which elders and pastors need to strive and pray to operate themselves. They first need to be so keenly aware of the grace and kindness they've been showed in Christ first so that they can begin to dispense that to the sheep. Because if, if Mike Reed thinks he's other than, if Mike Reed thinks he's outside need of the cross, then watch out. The way that he shepherds and leads is going to be from a place of instilling fear on you and not him being first aware that he's in need of this grace to be very empathetic with you when you sin yourself. You tracking with that? Like, like if the, the pastors, if the elders are not aware of the gospel's implications on their life first, they will only lead from fear-mongering and not kindness and not love and not understanding. This is, this is why you have the big divide between, I believe, Christianity and cults. And what's leadership and cults? You must do this. You must have this. You must go here. You must preach this. You must say this and do this. If you're going to acquire your 70 virgins or acquire your afterlife life or do all of this, it's all fear-based. People always say to me, how come the cults are so more, much more committed? They're not more committed. They have to do those things. They don't do those things. They don't get a desired result. Where Christianity comes in, the gospel comes in and says, uh, I love you despite your actions. Um, you're not only loved when you're a son who obeys me. You're loved when a, you're a son who even rebels. And that kindness is going to constantly call you back to the fold. So, so the hope is that yes, we would talk seriously with you about your sin and our sin, but we would do it in such a way where it's kind. We would do it in such a way by which you hear our hearts and would hopefully, Lord, willingly lead you back to the fault. That's what I believe that we're called to do. There's another thing this means. It means the elders are not untouchable, right? I love this. I love that this is here. Um, the elders need to be held accountable by the members on whether they're fulfilling the commands of God 
in regards to them being these types of people. Um, and the scriptures are very clear and very helpful as to how to engage one if you believe that they're in clear unrepentant sin. You have, you have to have two or three other witnesses that agree with that and believe that. You bring that to the elders and then they deal with that. So elders are not untouchable. I mean, I only have one vote. I don't have five votes. I can get censored. I can get disciplined. I can get fired. Like, I'm not outside of that. And if a pastor is outside of that, then you don't have a healthy elder board or plurality of men leading and shepherding and instructing the church. And then I love verse 4. Don't miss this. All of this is so that when the chief shepherd appears, you receive the unfading crown of glory. I just love, once again, Peter reminds you, the chief shepherd, the senior pastor, the one who owns the church, he's ultimately going to come back. You're going to see him. Elders likewise shepherd the flock to know the shepherd, right? We shepherd the flock to know the true shepherd. The elders oversee God's people, pointing them to the one who's the ultimate keeper and ultimate overseer of their souls. So you're on loan to the elders of this church, not permanently, not in a way by which we ultimately even have the say in your life. Ultimately, Jesus does because he's over us, so, so we don't have a way out. Um, this is him just reminding you again that they're underneath the chief shepherd, and this is why you should listen to them, because hopefully they're listening to him, and at the end of the day, we all submit to him. And that's a healthy church. That's healthy structure. This is why Jesus is the senior elder. He's the chief shepherd. He says he'll build his church. Hebrews calls him the capital A apostle. He's the one. He planted this church, he'll sustain this church, and he'll keep this church. He has planted every church that's ever started. He's used men and women to do it, but he did it. So no one can take glory for doing it, right? Because without his Holy Spirit empowering and, and, and helping and enabling them, it would be nothing. It's just a group of people getting together to eat and say words together. There's no spiritual power. If the Holy Spirit isn't present, it's no different than a hobby on a Sunday. And here he says, hey, remember, the chief shepherd's going to appear. He's who you're under. That's why for me, I don't take title senior pastor. Jesus is a senior pastor. Lead pastor, I help lead just give vision. There needs to be some sort of person that's just helping, following, listening to God. But I'm not the senior pastor of the church. Jesus is. And the elders are under shepherds of the church in distinct giftings and abilities so they can carry out the mission that God has asked them to carry out here. And then, I love this, the motivation for glory in heaven is what's motivating this whole thing. Hey, don't forget, there's reward coming. That even for elders, when it gets hard, when the church gets hard and it gets hard to manage and understand even wisely what to do, you, you remember that that crown is coming. And it helps remind the, the people that that crown is coming. We stick in this thing because glory's coming. This is nothing new. Peter's been saying this his entire letter. He motivates us by heaven This out of the gate right in chapter 1. Right? I know you're elect exiles, but don't forget, you have an unfading, imperishable glory. Kept by God waiting for you. He encouraged us with that. And then he ends in verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Now, he's going to tease this out more next week. We're going to camp out more on that next week. But 
I find it interesting and healthy that Peter says this. And look, he gives a gracious yet strong encouragement to those who are young. Now the literal translation actually includes men, young men. Young men especially. Now, now I believe there's a reason Peter does this is because he knows that if you're in this room and you're a man and you've ever been young, and young is anyone under 40, all right? So we're all in that camp, okay? So all you over 40, you're just wiser and more godly. But the rest of us little kids, all right, who are under 40, um, young men tend to be headstrong, right? And sassy, right? Come on. You know, not me. That proved my point, right? You sitting in your arrogant chair, right? So listen, we all, we all have this belief that we are literally the supermans of the world. We can overcome all things. We have the answers to everything that exists. So he knows naturally, boy, you bring that in the church, be careful. Be careful. I still remember I was 25, first year in ministry in a large church in Virginia, and I had a wise, godly older man say, Mike, if you keep acting this way, you will be fired. I like that you're laughing. I thought you'd be like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, by God's grace, I had someone wise say that to me when I was young. So I didn't destroy something later. It's like there's just so much arrogance there and pride there. and You think that you know how this whole thing should operate? You're 25. Um, so I think Peter knows. Hey, listen, let me lovingly encourage those of you who are younger you're going to tend to be headstrong. You're going to tend to be aggressive. That's normal. He knows, I think, that they'll need the most encouragement towards coming under leadership and submitting well because they're submitting to Jesus. And he lovingly is saying, hey, if you want to submit well to Jesus, the way that you can submit well to Jesus is following the leadership of your pastors. I think he knows that older men and women tend to be more spiritually mature. I know I can testify to this, man, you older women and men in this church have blessed me more than you will ever understand. The ways that you encourage me, I know you've encouraged the other elders and pastors here, the ways that you take us out for coffee and just teach us things that you've learned in your years of growing as a disciple of Jesus, I think Peter knows that, I know that, I'm experiencing that, and that's why he's saying just be careful those who are younger. So if I could say anything to young men in this room, um, there is no trait more valuable than humility, which I would includes, which I would say includes teachability. Like you're just willing to be taught. Like you don't know everything. And if you think you know everything, you're in a dangerous place. Dangerous place. And if you have any hope for wanting leadership or wanting to move yourself a direction, then demonstrate that. Because God doesn't, he says, uh, be, be great with a little bit. Let's see how you do. And then I might give you more, right? So if we can't handle with humility just a little bit, then how would he ever give us more? Um, and I know that starts with elders and pastors. If they're not modeling that, uh, how would anyone else be able to see that? And so that's a strong, strong call. So just being able to have a culture as a church where we can admit when we're wrong, admit when we're off, and come under what God has asked us to be and do will make us healthy. And I love that's why in the end, what creates a healthy, thankful, steady, Christ-exalting, God-glorifying church? Humble leaders and humble members. 
both. Humble leaders and humble members. This is why Peter makes sure in the end, everyone knows this is for everyone, right? He goes, oh, by the way, all of you, okay, not just the leaders, not just the pastors and elders, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. And I don't know about you, friends, if there's one thing we don't want to be opposed to this place, it's God, right? That, every time I read that, I like, I like cringe. I, I'm like, I don't want God opposed to Mike Reed. Man, I, listen, I, I'm good with humans being opposed to him, but God being opposed to me? Man, that's so terrifying. So he says God opposes that, yet he gives grace to the humble. We want to be a place where God gives grace to us as a family, amen? Do we want to be a church that, that God just gives grace to us? And he doesn't oppose us? And that's Peter's encouragement. How beautiful that God would, would do that for us. Now I want to end with just two things, not in this text, but just to say, coming out of this. Um, number one, the best thing you can do for us as your pastors, elders, shepherds, we believe that's inter- inter- interchangeable in the scriptures. That word means the same thing. So he's saying elders, it just means pastors, it just means overseer. Um, we're, we love it when you thank us. We love it when you encourage us. Those are great gifts. But the best thing you can do is pray for us. Now, I know that sounds so Christianese. It's just true. And I'm, I'm stunned when I read Paul's letters and Paul, the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul? Like, like even ends his letters to churches saying, please pray for me? Okay, well, if Paul needs prayer, who's inspiring New Testament letters, who's got the best resume I've ever seen outside of Jesus, right? Post-Christianity, post-becoming a converted Christian, I clearly need help. Because so often the danger is we need to pray for everyone on the periphery. Pastor, why do we need to pray for the elders and pastors? Man, you guys are the ones who made it. You want to know why you need to pray for us? Because we need the same gospel you need. Like to wake up out of bed and do the work God's called us to do. You know, we need the the same Holy Spirit-filled power and presence that you need to get up and do your job. We're not exempt from that. We need the same prayer to protect us from temptation and falling that you need as you walk into this world, man. We ain't in huts with our fences up. We're out in the same place you are, around the same people you are, around the same demonic influences you are, right? So we're all going to exit these doors, and we're all going to drive to neighborhoods, and we're all going to have families, and we're all going to have lives, Man, just pray for your pastors. Pray for other pastors. They'd be faithful. They'd be protected. That God would use them for his glory. And lastly, I would say this. As we go through some of this, maybe some of you are challenged, I hope. And not just looking at, well, that's the job of a leader, but looking at yourself and saying, man, I don't know if I'm really patient. Do I lead by example? Do people see these things in me? If they were to model my life, would that lead them towards a life that models Jesus Christ? Maybe some of you are, are rightly challenged by that. And, and, and I would say if you're all striving like we should be to live in such a way, we're all going to realize we fall short. And I want to continually remind you the good news is that Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose, that Jesus is our life, that he can enable you to live a holy life. That because Jesus is the senior pastor, because he does oversee the church, that's really how all this gets done. And that's how any of us have any hope. So we don't leave fearful, we don't leave 
distressed. We leave encouraged. We leave built up. We leave eager, anticipating how God would use us. Amen? Let's pray and ask him for help. Um, Father, thank you that before we come to the communion table, where we remember your broken body and your shed blood for our sin. God, thank you that reminds us how any of this is possible. Thank you that, that no bit of what happens in this church happens without seeing, remembering, tasting, witnessing, treasuring the broken body, shed blood of Jesus, who is our Redeemer, who is our King, who is our Pastor, who is our Shepherd, who leads us perfectly. So God, thank you for the ways that you've ordered the church to be. Thank you for giving us elders and pastors. You saw that as wise, so we believe it's wise. And we pray that you would help us to lean into these aspects in ways that are fruitful for us. Would you protect myself and the other elders and pastors here? Would you help us to love Jesus with our whole hearts? Would you help us to follow you more than we do today? God, we know if, we know if the leader falls, the rest fall. Um, and so, Jesus, we pray for a strong church, a humble church, one where your grace is given and you're not opposed to it. We pray the work of the ministry would flourish here, and as we come to the table this morning, we'd be strengthened, remembering that you broke your body, you shed your blood, so that we'd remember that you are always king, that you are always chief shepherd, that you are always overseer, and that there is glory coming for us, a crown of glory, so we can suffer well and endure well, knowing what you have waiting for us. Help us, in Jesus' name, amen.